Give you a second. Give you a second. That's totally fine. People are going to trick in, trickle in for a minute. I, uh, you, can got, you guys can just get a preview of where my brain was at this week. I, uh, this week I tried so hard to work something into my sermon and I couldn't, so I'm just going to give it to you now. Uh, does anybody here know what the Oxford Dictionary named as their word of the year this year? Gen Zers? Gen Alpha? Do you know? Riz is the word of the year, which is every, every Gen X and Boomer and probably Millennial in this room is like, oh, that's not a, oh. But it is, like, we, we made up all the words, not just that one, so we're going to be fine. I, I wanted to work it into the sermon because we're preaching about Boaz, and I feel like he, he is the Riz. Like, he's the Rizzler, you know what I'm saying? Like, he comes on the scene, he just sweeps everybody away. He's the guy, okay? If you don't know, it's short for charisma. Okay, so now we all learned something. This is, and this has been English 101 with Tyler. All right, thank you all so much for being here. I couldn't work that into my sermon. I tried really hard, so you guys can just enjoy that. And you can go ask your kids later, what does this mean? They'll go, I don't know. Stop talking like you're cool. Well, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Ruth chapter 2 today. If you've got a Ruth scripture journal, I think that's a fabulous way to follow along. If this is your first time with us here today, again, I hope that I was not the first person to say hello to you or welcome. Uh, let me explain a little bit what we're doing right now. We're currently in the second week of a season called Advent. So we celebrate Advent throughout the month of December, and here at True North, we preach four Advent sermons in anticipation of December 25th, of Christmas, which is essentially exactly what Advent means. See, we have defined Advent as a season of both remembering and anticipating Jesus. If you're taking notes today, this is a great one to write down. Advent is a season of remembering and anticipating Jesus. Jesus. So the Christmas season, it's a, it's a busy one. You know, in my experience, uh, if you live here in the highly transient city of Anchorage, but you didn't necessarily grow up here with your family, uh, it kind of becomes a mad rush. You know, you're trying to find the best price on plane tickets. You're trying to get your kids through the first semester of school this year. You know, you're trying, if you're like me, you're trying to figure out how to use up the rest of your vacation days before the year flops over. Like, when you pile all of those things on top of just the normal stress of shopping for your ever-growing family while prices just seem to go up, and, like, you get it, you know? Christmas, it just isn't always the most peaceful sermon for us. Sermon? Season. Season is the word I wrote. I need new glasses. It can be difficult for us to acknowledge what the season really actually means, which is, of course, to remember and anticipate Jesus. So, to keep us focused on the main thing, we're going to be looking at the book of Ruth. Last week was the first week of Advent, and in Ruth 1, we were introduced to two of the three major players in the story, Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. Now, Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, were Israelites from the town of Bethlehem, and what they did was they fled to the land of Moab due to a famine. They took their two sons, Malon and Kilion, and both Malon and Kilion, they eventually found themselves Moabite wives, and if you know the story, they lived happily ever after. They didn't. All the men died, every single one of them. So after that, Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, well, they left. They left the land of Moab because they actually heard that the famine in Bethlehem was over and that they could go and return to God's people and hopefully find food for themselves. 
Now, this is important for our message today because Ruth didn't have to join Naomi on her journey back to her homeland. She didn't have to do that. In fact, we saw last week that uh, Naomi's other daughter-in-law, Orpah, took that out. She actually went back to go live in her family's home. Now, I can't get into every detail today, but it's important because Ruth chose to follow her mother-in-law into a foreign land where she wouldn't know anybody. She'd have to follow all new customs. She would have to learn all new traditions. And most importantly, she would have to serve a God that she didn't know. She does all this because of the love that she has for Naomi. And despite the bitterness that Naomi feels right now, Ruth stays by her side and she honors her mother-in-law. So let's go ahead and pick up in chapter two today. Ruth chapter two. We're gonna start in verse one. If you have your Bible, great. If you would like to, you can follow along on the giant screen behind me and you can read along that way. We're gonna read most of the chapter today. All right, verse one says this. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side of the family named Boaz. He was a wealthy, prominent man from the clan of Elimelech. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields so I can gather grain behind whoever permits me to do so. Naomi replied, you may go, my daughter. So Ruth went and gathered grain in the fields behind the harvesters. Now she just happened to end up in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. So the thing that Ruth is doing here, it's called gleaning. Now, you and I have probably heard that phrase used to describe uh, like reading over a document and trying to just pick out what sticks. But the original definition of this actually comes from the book of Leviticus. It's actually Leviticus chapter 19. I'll have it on the screens behind me. So Leviticus 19, starting in verse 9, says this. This is a command from the Lord. When you gather in the harvest of your land, you must not completely harvest the corner of your field. You must not gather up the gleanings of your harvest. You must not pick your vineyard bare, and you must not gather up the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You must leave them for the poor and the resident foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Now, my Western-centric mind can't get over this idea. I think the significance of gleaning in this context, it's a little bit lost in translation because we don't live in an agrarian society. The idea of simply leaving resources out for the next person is crazy to me. It feels like it goes totally against common sense. You know, we would argue, did they earn it? Are they going to work for it? Are they going to waste it on whatever, blah, 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 blah. It feels a little alien. But in the time of God's chosen people, the message is clear. If you are among God's people, we'll take care of you. You'll have what you need. This security is baked into the framework of God's people. See, church, our Father knows what it does to us when we don't know what's coming next. You know, if you've ever worked through the budget and wondered if you were going to be able to afford groceries between paychecks, you probably know how this feels. Anxiety is an identity-level crisis. And when we choose to foster anxiety... It just becomes our entire sense of self. Now, this is sort of the double-edged sword of Advent. You know, in a lot of ways, this season is a reprieve from a lot of what causes us to struggle. But without Jesus, that's all it is. It's just a pause. 
See, when the season of Advent comes around, you and I are handed a tool that could help us to grow and mature in our faith. And if we choose not to remember and anticipate Jesus, those same problems are just going to be there to greet us on December 26th. It's kind of like if we think, you know, a Christmas bonus and two weeks in Hawaii are going to fix our problems. Really what we're doing is we're just being content to let avoidance be our solution and we won't actually have peace. Which begs the question, how do we use the tools that God gives us this Advent season? How do we use those things to actually tackle the things that keep, ourselves, to keep, that keep us up at night? You may remember a minute ago I said something along the lines of we choose to foster anxiety. Today, as we think about the Advent season, as we look to the life of Ruth, I want us to spend some time looking at Ruth's actions as she endures a time of, frankly, extreme waiting and discomfort. Okay, she has no idea what's coming next. She's got a lot of needs. This is a really turbulent time for her. So let's pay attention to the actions that she does. Our goal today is to learn the difference between fostering anxiety and cultivating peace. The difference, fostering anxiety or cultivating peace. Now, when I say peace, I don't mean a positive outlook on life. I, I think most of the points I'm going to lay out today, they could help somebody that has never claimed to know Jesus. I don't think it would be a waste of time. But when I say peace today, what I mean is a supernatural peace. When I say peace, it's a peace that allows the temporary afflictions of the world to just wash over you without changing who you are as a person. That's real peace. It's a peace that continually points you to the future glory that God says will be revealed even in the midst of our suffering. It's the kind of peace that only comes from being in the presence of the Prince of Peace and trusting that he's going to do everything that he says he's going to do. So peace is a fruit of the Spirit, which means that it's something that grows and develops as a result of having the Holy Spirit dwell in you. And today we're going to look at ways that we can cultivate that peace in a way that points us back to Jesus, as the Holy Spirit does. So let's talk about what that looks like. Earlier in our passage, in, in verse 2, Ruth could have just dwelt on her pain. She had every right to just stay home and to mourn her losses with Naomi. But instead, what she actually does is she chose to stay active. The verse says, one day Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field so that I can gather grain. Okay, she initiated that. That's something that she wanted to do. Church Ruth chose to stay active, and that is our first step to cultivating peace today. Our first step is to stay active. Our bodies and our minds and our spirits, they're not three separate entities, okay? God handcrafted you. He put each hair in your head in its rightful place. And he wove your emotions and your intellect together to form the tapestry that is you. If you neglect your body or your emotions, I can tell you that your spirit will follow suit, okay? Okay? It's a little terrifying to me, you know, but it, it kind of functions like pain in a way. If there's an imbalance in your body or your mind or your spirit, it can actually point us to underlying issues that we might be glossing over somewhere else in our, in our self. 
You know, I know that coming to church is likely either an exercise in disciplining your mind or disciplining your spirit for you. So it can be a little easy to forget that your body is a part of yourself when it comes to church, when it comes to spiritual development. And I'm speaking to myself here, like, stay active, keep your body moving, and help keep your mind focused on the task at hand. And what you might find is that it will free your spirit up as you choose not to just dwell on your pain. Hey, cultivating peace means staying active. Now, my next point is almost point 1B, uh, but it's important enough to talk about for a moment. So staying inactive and just dwelling on pain, that is just a method of guarding yourself, okay? It's, it, it's a way that we try to protect ourselves. It's, it's, it's instinctive, and we just try not to allow anybody close to us. When we are tempted to foster our own anxiety by shoring up our defenses and just staying alone, it, it's important for us to get outside of our comfort zone, and our next step is to serve others, Ruth isn't just getting food for herself. She's working her hands all day to also provide for Naomi. Now, I think serving others is a great way to stop being so inwardly focused, and it helps you realize that you're just not the center of the universe. (laughs) All right, I'm going to give you a shameless plug. I'm just going to read it so you know. If you need help getting outwardly focused, grab a staff member or an elder or a deacon later, and we can help you get plugged into the many ministries that we offer here at True North Church. It's not shameless. I really, we are designed to help each other. We're designed to serve. We're designed to worship. But if you do need help maybe getting your mind off of something, we can help you. That'd be totally fine. You can come hang out with us. Okay, so cultivating peace, it means serving others. It will help, I promise. Okay, so let's continue reading in verse 4. Verse 4 of Ruth 2 says this. Now at that very moment, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. May the Lord be with you. They replied, may the Lord bless you. Boaz asked his servant in charge of the harvesters, to whom does this young woman belong? He's the Rizzler, I'm telling you. Who's this young lady? Sorry, that was a pity laugh. Thank you for that. The, The servant in charge of the harvesters replies, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the region of Moab. She asked, may I follow the harvesters and gather grain among the bundles? Since she arrived, she has been working hard from this moment until now, except for sitting in a resting hut a short time. Okay, so now we have just met the final tritagonist, which is the real word, by the way, of this story, Boaz. And if you watch a lot of Lifetime movies, we're about to witness like the first recorded meat cute in history. This is rad. Let's keep reading. Verse 8 says this, So Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my dear. Do not leave to gather grain in another field. You need not go beyond the limits of this field. You may go along beside my female workers. Take note of the field where the men are harvesting and follow behind with the female workers. I will tell the men to leave you alone. When you are thirsty, you may go to the water jars and drink some of the water the servants draw. We see here that Ruth, she is diligent and she is hardworking. But we have a tendency to romanticize the concept of work ethic. It makes sense, like... A strong work ethic, it is a pillar to a working society. Everybody's got to eat. Everybody's got to drink clean water. Everybody needs shelter against the elements. You need a work ethic to provide those things. 
But when work ethic becomes idolatry, it only serves to draw our affections away from Jesus. So when we overwork ourselves, it fosters anxiety as we, we, we base, we hinge our definition of success and even our sense of well-being, we base all of those things on our own abilities. We remove our trust in God and we replace it with trust in ourselves. So church, to cultivate peace, we must acknowledge our limitations. Cultivating peace means to acknowledge our limitations. We just don't help anyone if we pretend to be invincible, especially ourselves. But our bodies, our minds, they are limited things. So we can push past those limits for a time, but when we overwork ourselves, what we're essentially doing is we're opening up a line of credit against our own well-being. And the interest just never goes down. Quick illustration, like nobody wants their kids to get nothing on Christmas. That makes a lot of sense. But if we max out our credit line to feel really good for one day, and then the bank repossesses our house because we're not paying our mortgage, we're not any better off than we were before. Instead, we steward our limitations well. We acknowledge them to ourselves, and we acknowledge them to God. We acknowledge them to the God that built those limits into our bodies. Church, acknowledging our limitations is an act of worship. Again, God made our minds, he made our bodies and our spirits to function together as one mechanism. And we honor our creator by resting, by drinking water, by eating healthy foods, because we know that our bodies were designed to function optimally when we do those things. That, is, that demonstrates a trust in the creator that made us that way. So we can avoid the temptation to overwork ourselves. In fact, God's original plan for us was to have one day out of every seven to just be. Earlier in the year, we taught on the spiritual discipline of Sabbath. And if you haven't been able to follow any of those, I highly recommend going on our website or on our podcast feed. Uh, there's a bunch of teachings and sermons on Sabbath. It is a beautiful discipline of just learning to trust God in the limits that he's given us and to just Trust that God's in charge and the world keeps turning even if we're just sitting and enjoying his creation. It's, it's good for us. We overwork. We do it often. So when we defer to our God-ordained limits, it produces a profound sense of thankfulness and contentment. That thankfulness, when applied, it gives way to that peace that we so desperately want, one that lets all the things of this world wash over us without changing who we are as a person. To cultivate peace, we acknowledge our limitations. When we trust the limits that God gives us, we see much more clearly that we serve a God that is without limits. Even more, we serve a limitless God that clothed himself in human weakness to save us from our sin. That's the God that we worship. And this is also the God that Ruth chose to pledge herself to. So let's keep reading. We're going to pick it up in verse 10. Ruth knelt before him with her forehead to the ground and said to him, why are you so kind and so attentive to me even though I am a foreigner? 
Boaz replied to her, I have been given a full report of all that you have done for your mother-in-law following the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother as well as your homeland and came to live among people you did not know previously. This is just a glowing endorsement of Ruth's character. May the Lord reward your efforts. May your acts of kindness be repaid fully by the Lord God of Israel from whom you have sought protection. So here we see Ruth showing a, a beautiful deference. She bows her head and she acknowledges her place in the matter. Like, I don't want to misconstrue this. This point is important to us because in this story, church, we are the foreigners. And we get to bow before our Redeemer and bless him for the kindness that he shows to us. A great source of anxiety in our lives is trying to do absolutely everything ourselves. In order to cultivate peace, we humble ourselves. That's our next point today. In order to cultivate peace, we humble ourselves. Now, Ruth does show some humility here by bowing her head and calling herself a foreigner. But in my opinion, what takes even more humility is to accept help accept help. Let your loved ones help you, church. Let a stranger help you, church. You aren't too mighty to accept help. Just let, let Jesus be mighty. You just accept the help that he gives. It's good. Be humble. Accept the help. I know I'm beating a dead horse here. I know that I'm doing that. But it just there seems to be this, this whole generation of pull ourselves up by our bootstrappers that for some reason see humility and receiving help is like the ultimate form of weakness. And guys, it's just not worth it. It's only ever going to hurt us. That is a pride, that is a self-idolatry that it is only going to ever serve to hurt us. We can't do it on our own. We need a redeemer. That's the long and short of it. We need a redeemer that goes above and beyond our wildest expectations. Now church, if you call yourself a Christian today, we have to remember that the Bible does not say that we nailed it, that we did it all right, and now God has to let us into heaven. Romans 5.8 says this, and it'll be on the screen behind me, but God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were slaves to sin, we were actively against God. And even knowing that, Christ still died for us. See, we were his enemies, and now we're his family. This mindset keeps us humble. God doesn't choose us like a dodgeball lineup during recess. I know that dates me a little bit, but I think it's a really good metaphor. Like, if we idolize our ability to do it all ourselves, we start to think that God will choose us over somebody else. In Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, he says this, 1 Corinthians 1, 26. Paul says, hey guys, think about the circumstances of your call, brothers and sisters. Not many were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were born into a privileged position. But God chose 
what the world thinks foolish to shame the wise. And God shows what the world thinks weak to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, what is regarded as nothing, to set aside what is regarded as something. So that no one can boast in his presence. In order to cultivate peace, we see ourselves as God sees us. And we accept the help that he gives through those around us. Okay? Paul just said, we're not that hot. We ain't it. God is. It just might be, think about the logic for a second, by accepting help, it just might be that somebody else is on their journey to cultivate peace in their own lives. Maybe they're trying to serve others and get their minds off their pain. So the whole thing can come from full circle. It just may be that accepting help actually helps somebody else. Okay? The church can be greater than the sum of its parts when we help each other. So accept the help. To cultivate peace, we humble ourselves. Let's continue. We're getting pretty close to the end here. Verse 14 of Ruth chapter 2. Later, during the mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and have some food. Dip your bread in the vinegar. So she sat down beside the harvesters. Then he handed her some roasted grain. She ate until she was full and saved the rest. When she got up to gather grain, Boaz told his male servants, let her gather grain even among the bundles. Don't chase her off. Make sure you pull out ears of grain for her and drop them so she can gather them up. Don't tell her not to. And so she gathered grain in the field until evening. When she threshed what she had gathered, it came to about 30 pounds of barley. Ruth began this chapter of her life with nothing. A bitter mother-in-law, that was it. And by the end of this single day, God has used Boaz to provide her with the resources that she needs to survive and provide for herself. Okay, but here's the thing. She still has to make the choice to use the resources that are available to her. Okay, her belly's full now. She has some saved up for later. She's successfully avoided starving to death while alone. But that is not all that God has in store for her. See, if we avoid our deeper problems and we ignore the resources available to us because our bellies are full and we're warm and we're happy for a moment, we also would refuse everything else God has in store for us. Like if the holidays are, to us are just a momentary reprieve to save up our Christmas bonuses and to get some neat gifts for the kids that you couldn't afford the rest of the year, our anxiety will just be right back there to meet us the second our bonus dries up or the second we get off the plane after two weeks in Hawaii. But if we choose to cultivate peace for ourselves, what we choose is to trust in God's provision and use the tools that God gives for us. So all in all, to remember and anticipate Jesus, to cultivate peace means to trust in God's provision. Advent means that we remember that God gave Jesus, not only to redeem us from sin, but also to walk with us and to pray for us and to comfort us and give us peace here now, today. And we get to anticipate Jesus this season by, by, by trusting that our next moments no matter how harrowing they may seem, our next moments are accounted for. That's a good thing. Jesus cannot forget you. He gave everything for you. He will never leave you. 
the book of Ruth is, in my opinion, the perfect example of an Advent story. You and I had nothing. We were foreigners. We lost everything in the fall. We were in need of redemption. We had nothing to give. We had nothing to offer. And yet, our Redeemer came and he fed us. He protects us. And he calls us his own. He claims us. We can trust in God's provision for 2024. Then we have to acknowledge that our problems will still be our problems without God's provision. Now, I chose the language of the sermon, uh, fostering anxiety and cultivating peace. I chose those things on purpose. They're illustrative. I know that they mean something essentially exactly the same. But what I wanted is for us to have something to, to have a linchpin on, to, to kind of be able to tell the difference between fostering and cultivating. So I'll explain that for a moment. When we foster anxiety, we bring the things that make us anxious into our lives. And then when we let these things make themselves at home, the results are immediate. I think of every foster parent in the room, one second after they bring a new child into the home, things change. If we continue to foster anxiety, it grows and it takes over and changes everything about you until you basically just become your anxiety. We all know somebody like that. We may have been that person before. It's not good. It's not good on your body, mind, or your spirit. But choosing to cultivate peace, it's just a little different. To cultivate, we need to plant a seed, and the Holy Spirit plants that seed for us. It requires a slow nurturing. It requires an attention to detail as things grow, and that peace begins to take its shape. Cultivating peace, it will be a long process, probably. It could take you your entire life, but that peace will draw you deeper into the arms of your Savior, and the things that once threatened to just knock you out of orbit around God those things will begin to bounce off of you and they won't change who you are. And because peace is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, you see, Christians get the unique honor and responsibility of actually being the most peaceful people in the world. And if we're not, we should be. The things that would normally cause fear and panic will strangely and just unnaturally slide off of you as you trust in God's provision, as you remember and anticipate Jesus. So let's close out today as we look to the final few verses of our chapter. Ruth comes home after a long day of gleaning. She's getting to know Boaz. She gets to know the, some of uh, God's people. So Naomi meets her at the door, and she is just overwhelmed by the amount of grain that she brings home for working a single day. That's pretty good. 30 pounds, that's pretty good. Ruth tells Naomi and Boaz about the, excuse me, Ruth tells Naomi about Boaz. And the, every, every time I preach, my tongue goes, I got this, homie. I'll take care of it. And then my brain keeps moving. Sorry about that. Ruth tells Naomi about Boaz and the way that he treated her. And Naomi is just, she's overjoyed. She knows who he is. She asks blessing from the Lord upon Boaz, which is pretty impactful if you remember how upset Naomi was in the last chapter. Then Ruth tells her a bit more. Let's pick up in verse 21 as we close out today. Verse 21. Ruth the Moabite replied, Boaz even told me you may go along beside my servants until they have finished gathering all my harvest. Naomi then said to her daughter-in-law Ruth, it is good, my daughter, that you should go out to work with his female servants. That way you will not be harmed, which could happen 
in another field. So Ruth worked beside Boaz's female servants, gathering grain until the end of the barley harvest, as well as the wheat harvest. After that, she stayed home with her mother-in-law. Naomi and Ruth know the dangers of a single woman working a stranger's field alone. But there is safety where their redeemer is. Any of those other fields, they may promise more food, more resources. Those other fields might look easier to work even, but none of those fields offer a redeemer like Boaz. Church, our hope for peace in the coming year is the same thing. Where our redeemer is, there is safety. There is peace. There is peace in waiting when we wait with Christ. We can choose to trust in any other thing that the world has to offer. It's only going to end up disappointing us because what we really need, of course, is Jesus. So consider as we close out our second week of Advent, God's ability to provide for our needs. We can choose to stay inwardly focused, to guard ourselves, to refuse help, and to trust in the things the world says may help us. And those things, we can work those fields. That is an option available to us. They may even help us in the short term. Instead, though, God offers us the tools to cultivate peace in our lives as we walk with our Redeemer. We can stay active. We can serve others. We can acknowledge our limitations. We can keep ourselves humble. These steps help us have the peace that the Bible actually talks about, not just the ability to avoid our problems. So trust in Jesus as we remember what he has done for us and as we eagerly anticipate what Jesus will do. Church, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to take a minute to swap over to my guitar, and we're going to sing one final song together, and then we're going to let you go. So let's go respond in prayer and in song to the Lord that we can trust in. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are trustworthy, that you have done everything that we've ever needed and you will continue to help us. Lord, let us remember what you have done when we are anxious, Lord, when we are afraid, when we don't know what's coming next, God. Let us eagerly anticipate, Lord, what Jesus is going to do for our lives that he will never leave us, that he will always be near us, God. Thank you that we get to worship a God like that. God, you are so good to us. We are so thankful for who you are and what you've done. We are so thankful for Christ Jesus. God, help us to choose not to foster the anxiety that's in our lives, that will always be in our lives. God, help us to choose not to let it in and take over our, our self. But God, instead, give us the patience required to cultivate the spirit peace. God, we love you. We are so thankful for you. In Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.